Scripture reading today will be from Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 10. And it's Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 10. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are a guest, think about the old story of the terrible snow and the preacher and one old farmer showed up. Nobody else showed up to worship. And so the preacher, he's a young preacher and he never experienced this before. And so he said to the old farmer, he said, I, I don't guess we'll have service since it's just you and I. And the old farmer said, well, you know, you can do whatever you want, but when I go out to feed, I pull out a wagon full of hay, and, and he said, if one old cow comes up, I still feed it. So the preacher thought for a minute. He said, okay. So they went in, and they had a service. As a matter of fact, the young preacher got into it so much, he preached a little bit long. And then he had a closing prayer, and at the dismissal, he walked up to the old farmer, and he said, well, how was that? And he said, well, when I pull the wagon full of hay out and there's only one cow, I don't unload the whole hay. <laughs> I'm glad there's more than one here. We're going to unload the whole wagon this morning. All right. Hey, after uh, this, or before this snow, uh, there's a lot of activity in the life of this congregation this past week. And, you know, after a few days of snow, you kind of feel like things have been paralyzed. Things are very, very slow. But Wednesday, we had a tremendous morning with the public service breakfast, public servants breakfast and uh, had a good crowd more than last year and so many helpers and all about that it was just wonderful. And we appreciate each one that had their hand in that. Also, the buckets of love just continued to pour into this building as you uh, saw Wednesday night. It was absolutely amazing to see 200 of those buckets in the front. And you brought in another 100 that were put together late Wednesday night. And about six men uh, delivered those Thursday. And we appreciate Trey and his leadership in this and everybody's generosity and all that had their hand in making this happen. Uh, we also do want to continue to pray for the Slusher family and the tremendous loss uh, that they have had this past week in the passing of Miss Slusher's son, Chad. And uh, let's be sure and be mindful of them and, and to reach out and to encourage them and pray for them and help them in any way that they can. As we're thinking about helping others, I, I want to also encourage you to do something. And, and that is, if, if you know of an older couple that uh, you're close to or you live close to them, or if you know of a widow, uh, be sure and call them this afternoon. After several days of snow, they may have needs. And, and maybe you're not able to fulfill those needs. Feel free to call us. 
uh, we want to take care of our family. And it may be that they simply need a gallon of milk or, or, or whatever it may be, but please make sure you call somebody this afternoon and check on somebody. And let's hope and pray that every one of our older members are checked on today. And uh, there's several of us that, that the snow hasn't stopped us yet. I, I covered over 500 miles yesterday. I'm sure I can cover anywhere in Mount Juliet we need to. So let's, let's make sure that, that uh, we're checking on folks and that we're helping them and that we're just simply being the family that God's designed for us to be. We're in the midst of a wonderful study of the Beatitudes. Could there be anything more wonderful to study to challenge us where truly if we obey all of these things, it changes us. We're not the same person as before we met these Beatitudes. And today we think about that life of transformation. As we think about where we've been over the past few weeks, we think about the idea that first beatitude of being poor in spirit. That idea of say, I'm not God. And so therefore, because I'm not God, I can't do it on my own. I can't live this life on my own. When I try it, I mess it up. I find myself in a lot of pains and hang-ups and bad habits. And since I can't, God can and that's a sign of the morning. That's literally what repentance is, to, to turn away from self and to turn to God. And then we looked at a third beatitude, and that is, if I'm going to let God, let him. Hand the reins over. Blessed are the meek. Let him have control in our life. Let's be strength under control, and that control is God's control. And then we thought last week about the fact of change me. God is the one that can change me. Now, that was under the beatitude of, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. That hungering, that thirsting, it literally changes us because we're drawn to different things and people and situations than what we would have been otherwise in our life. But then today, as we think about the transformation, we see we want to be changed from the inside out. In other words, blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Think about that for just a moment. Get that clearly in your mind. I want to see God. We've just sung the beautiful song, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. Can you honestly say, I want to see God? I want to see how God is going to work in my life in the future. I want to be able to look back and appreciate how God has worked in my life in the past. I want to see what His will is, what His law is, what His way is. I don't ever want to lose sight of the cross, and I want to see the sacrifice that He gave of His Son upon that cross. I don't ever want to see a sunrise without thinking of God. I don't ever want to see a newborn baby without thinking of God. I want to see God. I want to see God in everything that He is and everything that He has given. Now notice again that beatitude. Who sees God? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How do we make that kind of transformation? Be turning, if you will, to Romans, the 12th chapter, as we think about this question. Really, how, how do you have that kind of conversion? Maybe any of you that, that work with your hands, with, with maybe uh, whether it's even in, in uh, sewing or, or if it's in 
with tools in your hands. You've gone through processes where you've had to convert something. Maybe one thing doesn't work and you convert it and now it works. How do you go through conversion? How do you go from a a point in your life where you say, I'm not pure in heart? How are you converted to Christ so that now your life truly is different? Now you truly are pure in heart. In Romans, the 12th chapter, we get a glimpse of some things that are required of us, just as an introduction here this morning. Look in the 12th chapter in verse 1 where he wants us to give our life as a living sacrifice. In other words, he says, you want to go through this transformation? It's not going to be easy. It's going to cost you something. Are you going to be willing to pay the price? Think about the people that started following Jesus and then they decided to turn their back and follow him no more. And they literally said, your sayings are hard. It wasn't that they were so hard to understand. It was that they didn't want to pay that price. They didn't want to give their life a living sacrifice. Now, if we're willing to do that, notice verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world. That means literally shaped. Do not be shaped by this world. But what? Be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Your mind is your spiritual heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. If your mind is renewed, it's pure We can then see God and notice the example we will be. That we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You want to see the way God would want you to live. God says, offer your life a living sacrifice. Be open to every command that God lays before you. Be open to every opportunity that God places before you. Allow your life to go through that transformation where you say, hands off. I'm no longer shaping my life. I'm going to let God shape my life. My desires now are for God, for for righteousness. That's my hungering. That's my thirsting. I'm going to do as God would want me to do. And the result of that is a life where our life proves what is good, what is acceptable to God, what is the perfect or complete will of God. We mentioned last week, but because we're studying pure in heart, we just almost must, must mention it again. Look in Psalm 51, and then we're going to make our way really to our text this morning in just a moment in Exodus 33. But when we think about this pure in heart, one of the things we need to be real clear of in the beginning of this lesson is that nobody has the ability to purify their heart on their own. Well, you know, I've been thinking, and I just need to make some changes, and I'm going to direct my life, and I'm going to purify. We can't do it on our own. We don't have the wisdom to do that. We don't have the power to cleanse past sins out of our life so that we can even start anew. You know, you've heard me before liken our life to a child coloring and then realizing they colored out of the lines and, and how maybe the child is disappointed because they really wanted to do a good job, and that feeling of being able to turn the page and start over afresh. Well, how can we say, blessed are the pure in heart, when all of us here have sinned? We've already messed up the page of life. David knew that feeling. David knew the feeling of having his page look like he wanted it to look. And then he knew the feeling of waking up and realizing, I have really colored way out of the lines. I've hurt my life. I've hurt other people's lives. I've taken the lives of another. I've hurt God. And Psalm 51 is his answer to realize, I need God. I can't just clean this mess up by myself. Look especially at verse 7. It's appropriate even for today, especially as we look outside. Psalm 51 and 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. See, he knows that the Lord is going to have to cleanse him. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. 
He knew that he could not remove the guilt of his past sins. He knew that it would only be because God would cleanse him. Skip down to to verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David, what do you want? I want that pure heart again. I'm hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And I want to obtain it. Well, David, what's it going to look like? What's that transformation going to look like? He says, when I obtain it, my heart's going to be clean again. My heart's going to be pure again. I'm going to know the joy of salvation. Many times in Christianity, we call it conversion. It's that idea where we truly have changed who we are. We're no longer in the midst of the world. We're clean. We're pure. We're saved We are now living with God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want to see God. Turn, if you will, to Exodus, the 33rd chapter, and let's look at a man who wanted to see God in every aspect of his life, in every walk, in every step. His life can be divided into three major sections, 40-year periods of time where, as a child, he grew up in a palace, the son of the Pharaoh of Egypt. If this would be today's standards, he literally would have had the Ferrari. He literally would have been a celebrity. He would have been on the front of magazine covers. Everybody in the nation would know his name. He probably could have been next in line to be king. But then 40 years later, he finds himself realizing, I'm not as close to God in that palace. I want to go to where I can be closer to God. And he leaves all that behind to live in a wilderness. How badly do you want to be close to God? What would you leave behind to be close to God? In the last 40 years of his life, he literally does something that he doesn't want to do. God says, I want you to leave the wilderness and go back and start leading my people. And he literally didn't want to do it. God, I can't speak. I don't want to do that. He'd been to Egypt before. He'd left Egypt. He didn't want to go back to Egypt. Why did he do it? Because God wanted him to. He wanted to be close to God. He wanted to see God. He wanted to see God's will in his life, whether it was convenient or not, whether it was a tremendous sacrifice to leave things behind or not, whether it was God asking him to take something upon his shoulders that was a heavy load or not. It didn't matter. You can always describe Moses' life in this way. He wanted to be in the presence of God. He wanted to see God. He wanted to be close to God. I want to tell you just a little more about the story that leads up to the 33rd chapter. And there's so much recorded in the Bible about the life of Moses. We're just kind of pulling some of the the high points here for a moment. You remember that Moses went back and God sent 10 plagues. And finally, after the death of the firstborn, Pharaoh said, take your people. And they went. But then as they went along their way, Pharaoh changed their mind. And now they're blocked with soldiers in the rear and, and the Red Sea in front of them. What are they going to do? They saw God. They saw the power of God as he parted the waters and they made their way across and the waters collapsed on the soldiers of the Egyptians. Three days into the wilderness, what do you need at least every three days? 
water. In the 15th chapter of Exodus, we find out they've only been over in the wilderness three days and they're starting to murmur and complain, which for good reason. They don't have water. And they begin to look to water and at Mara, the only water they find is bitter water. It's so bitter they can't drink it. God did this to test them. He then told Moses, take that tree there and throw in the water. And the water became sweet. They were able to drink it. And then he pled with them to obey God's law and God's statutes. It was from there, just within the first month, they're running out of provisions. They need food. God sends manna. It's it's like a a heavenly cracker, if you will. It, It even had a taste of honey, Psalm says. And he sent it every day. What were they seeing? Every day they would go out and see God's provision. Except on the Sabbath. They could gather enough the day before for the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, that was the holy day. They rested. They meditated upon God. They worshiped God. And then, shortly after this, now keep in mind, this is way before the conquest into Canaan. This is when they're still out in the wilderness. The Amalekites come and attack them. And you remember, God didn't just give them a victory. God wanted them to see Him. And so every time Moses would have his hands lifted up towards God, Joshua and the men would prevail in the battle. But then his arms would grow tired. And if you haven't thought about that, just try holding your arms up for 10 or 15 minutes. And his arms would grow tired and he would drop them. And he would notice that every time he would drop them, that then Joshua's men would be pushed back into battle. And he'd raise his hands up and they would move forward. And finally, Aaron and her had Moses to sit down. And they literally, one on each side, stood holding up his hands. Showing that God is the one that's going to protect you. Keep everything focused on God. He'll provide for you. He'll protect you. He will point you toward the promised land. Just stay with God. Hand in hand, never take your eyes off God. They finally come to Mount Sinai. It's not really a pretty place. It kind of looks like a mountain with the top part of the triangle chopped off, and it's a real rugged mountain. And and there's a prairie there, if you will, laying beside it, a little open area that's about two and a half miles long, and it's narrow valley. And and historians say that probably that's where the children of Israel would have camped. Because keep in mind, there would have been hundreds of thousands of them by this time, most would calculate. And so they're staying there for a while because God calls Moses to come up to Mount Sinai. For 40 days, God talks with Moses. He gives him the Ten Commandments, Exodus the 20th chapter. But when you read 21, 22, 23, 24, you see that he gave them a lot of other laws and statutes that he wanted them to keep. When Moses came off the mountain, he wrote those down and they're called the Books of Covenant. He also told exactly how he wanted the tabernacle to be built. To the letter, the exact pattern. It's interesting that when it came to God's house, he wanted everything done a particular way. But after the 40 days upon the mountain, God warns Moses of what his people are doing. You see, his people had found their relationship with God through Moses. 
And when Moses was not there, they lost faith. Now it's wonderful when we have leaders to lead us closer to God. And it's wonderful when we have mentors that can give us wonderful advice. It's wonderful when we can have instructors to teach us more about God. But friends, we need to realize we should never, never serve God through another person. What if that person's not in our life? God doesn't want grandchildren. He doesn't want us to have a relationship with Him through anyone except through Christ. And so we've got a problem. These individuals that no longer can see God in their faith, they can't. They no longer can see Moses. And so Aaron helps them with a terrible decision. What they were accustomed to back in Egypt were gods. And so they decided they would build one of those gods. And they all collected their jewelry and they melted it down. They made a golden calf and they began to stand and and dance around this calf, which from other passages in the scriptures, probably very immoral things were happening. And Moses comes off the mountain and he sees the children of Israel in such an immoral and ungodly state. And it breaks his heart and moves him into anger and he throws down the tablets and they crumble. And he takes that calf and he burns it and what's left he grinds into powder and he throws it in the water and he makes them drink it as punishment. He calls the ones to one side that want to serve God and he tells the Levites to put on their swords and he tells them to march among the others and execute the ones that don't want to serve God. You see, Moses realized something. We're one nation We're one nation that's God's nation and we're on a journey to God's land and we can't be divided. We have got to make sure that everybody here wants to serve God and whoever doesn't want to serve God, whoever wants the little idols in their life, they can't be a part of this nation. Do you see the application? It's so easy for us to build these little idols in our life and we place those idols before God. And some way we think, though, we can hang on to both. I can still be a Christian and I can still have this. Sometimes we build the idol of the pride of life. And we like to think that really we're doing it on our own. But after all, we are religious people. And so Sunday we go and we talk about how God is really doing it. But the truth is, we know that it's our power. It's our strength. It's our good looks. It's our talent. It's our ability. It's our intellect. What little idols have you built? Maybe it's the idol of advice. Maybe it's alcoholism, gambling. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's prescription pills. Maybe it's things that in and of themselves perhaps aren't sins, but they have become addicted, addicted to us. Maybe it's television. Maybe it's talking too much. Maybe it's we can't put our cell phone down. What is it in our life that literally has consumed our life? And it's, it's this little idol that the reality is we may hate to admit, but it's separating us from God. Moses says, it's got to go. He went back up on the mountain. And it was in this setting that we read Exodus, the 33rd chapter. Is a very, very interesting conversation. You don't see many conversations like this between a, God, between a man 
and the Almighty God in the Scriptures. So I want you to keep that background in mind as we read just a few things and then the lesson is yours. Look, if you will, Exodus, the 33rd chapter. When God calls him back on top of the mountain this next time, this is what the Lord says to him in the 33rd chapter, verses 1, 2, and 3. Then the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here. And the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I'll give it. And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And the following verses tell how Moses is saying, look how the people have repented. Look how they've stripped themselves of the ornaments and etc. But friends, this is sobering for Moses at this point. God has literally said to him, I'm not going to dwell amidst your people anymore. God's given up on them. In previous chapters that we skipped over, God literally wanted to destroy them right there and, and Moses begged him not to. As a matter of fact, in the 32nd chapter, Moses even said, you can remove my name out of the book of life, just don't destroy them, save them. So we see this back and forth where God is saying, I want to give up on them. And Moses is saying, don't give up on these people. And now finally God calls him up to the top of the mountain. He says, okay, I'll tell you what I'll do. I won't live in the midst of them. Because if I did, I'd consume them. I'd destroy them. Why? The wages of sin is death. I'd destroy them if I was in the midst of them. They're wicked people. They're stiff-necked. I try to turn them to me, and they won't turn. I'm trying to take the reins out of their hands, and they won't give me the reins of their life. They keep thinking that they're God, or they'll make their own God. But I'll tell you what I'll do, Moses. I will send my angel and let my angel walk in front of you. And my angel will fight the battles... We'll destroy the enemies, and we will take you right into the promised land. Not bad. Not bad. I mean, isn't that all they wanted anyway? Hey, we're, we're tired of being slaves over here. We're tired of working for, for Egypt. We, we've heard of, of this land of promise. We, we want that land of promise. And, all right, Lord, if you're not going to walk in the midst of us, but you're going to get an angel to escort us, what more could we ask? Would you be fine with that? If you're Moses, would you say, Lord, thank you very much. You're so gracious. Thank you. What about your life? I don't even have the wisdom to give you the application I'm trying to give you in this point, but I beg you to take this one and think about it. Do you want God... Or do you just want the blessings He can give? Right now, if you can make out a list of a hundred things to pray for, and God would say, I tell you what, I'll stop living in your presence, but I'll give you these hundred things, and I'll send an angel to make sure you get to them. Would you be like, well, that's the only reason I'm a Christian anyway. Do you want God? Or do you want His blessings? Moses teaches us a valuable lesson here. 
Because his answer to this is not, sure, God, that's fine. Instead, look what happens in verse 7. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. Now keep in mind, this is not the tabernacle of the Old Testament. It hasn't even been built yet. The word tabernacle simply means tent. So he's saying, this is the tent of meeting. This is where I'm going to go to meet God. He says, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. Now imagine this. God says, here's the children of Israel. Moses, I am not living in the midst of them anymore. I'll get them to the promised land because you ask it. I'll put an angel in front of them because I need to get them there. I won't live in the midst of them. And Moses comes off that mountain. And all you campers know what I'm talking about. He pulls up his stakes. Folds up his tent. He goes far, far, the Bible says, away from Israel. And he puts his tent up. And he tells them, if anybody wants to see God, you come out with me. And those next few verses that follow, some of them did. And they put their stake up. And they put their tent up. And God would come in the pillar of a cloud. And He would stand literally in the doorway of Moses' tent. And Moses would talk to him as friends would talk to each other face to face through this cloud, this pillar of cloud. And when the other children of Israel that wanted to be close to God, they had moved away from the wicked place. They moved out and they put their tents. And every time they saw the presence of God, they came out to the doorway of their tent and they bowed down and they worshiped God as He was in their presence. Friends, if we want transformed lives, we've got to move. We can't live like the world and claim a transformed life. There are sins we have to get out of our life. There's probably some people we have to get out of our life. There's activities we have to get out of our life. There's priorities that have to be changed. We have to be willing to pull up the stakes and say, it doesn't matter what it costs, I'm going to live where the presence of God is. And if God won't live there, I will move to Him. God doesn't live among wickedness. And so the question is, am I willing to move to Him? And here's the conclusion. Look, if you will, in verse 13. The Lord and Moses are having a discussion. This is what Moses says in 13, as the Lord is still telling him to move the people. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. What Moses want? Show me your way. I want to know you. How is it you want us to walk, Lord? How is it that you want us to live, Lord? Really, what is it you want out of us, Lord? Just show me your way. I want to know you. I don't ever want to live without you. Lord, you asked me to come to Mount Sinai. I came to Mount Sinai. Lord, you said you wouldn't live in the middle of Israel. Lord, I moved away from Israel. Lord, now you're saying you want me to lead the people to the promised land, but I want to know something. Are you going to go with us? Are you going to go with us? Lord, just tell me that. Are you going? 
And notice the Lord's answer in 14. The Lord said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And to confirm that, Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. You have that pictured in your mind? They have waiting on them a promised land. They're living in tents in a wilderness. They have a land with minerals in the ground and vineyards on top of the ground and cattle and oxen and streams of water and mansions waiting for them in the promised land that they're going to take over fortified cities. They have everything waiting for them and they're literally living as homeless people here. And what does Moses say? Moses says, Lord, I would rather stay in the wilderness homeless with you than to go to the promised land without you. Please don't move us if your presence is not going with us. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Remember last week I told you, because we were studying, blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty, I said, I want to want what God wants. You know, I couldn't help but several times as I studied this lesson this week, think, I want to see God, and I want to want to see God the way Moses did. It didn't matter what it cost him. It didn't matter where he had to move. In other words, he's, I'd rather just stay in a little tent here in nowhere and have all the prosperity in the world and you not be close by. This morning, I hope you want to see God. If we can help you with that in any way, if you want to be immersed into Christ or if you need to come back home, I know in many ways this day seems inconvenient with snow, but in other ways it's so beautiful. But what better way? What better way to remember this day is not because it was a huge snow, but to be able to look back and say, that was the day that my life was totally transformed. That was the day I gave it all up. That was the day I put my eyes on Jesus and I never stopped looking at Him. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.